Well, hey guys, <laughs> I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, so great to be with you guys this morning. I'm going to start off uh, this morning with a, an apology. You're not supposed to do that in Preaching 101, but I'm just going to start with an apology today because last week I stood up here before you and I made an announcement about Easter, which Pierce just did as well, and I said, Easter is one month away, which was true. So there's nothing like, I'm not apologizing for that, but what I realized I did is I, I in saying that, I caused some mild panic among some of you. Some of you said, what you heard me say was, we are one month until I can eat chocolate again, <laughs> or one month until I can get on social media again. And some of you guys have given things up for, for this season called Lent leading up to Easter. For me, it's one month till lima beans. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it. You're with me, right? <laughs> I actually like lima beans, so I don't know if that works, but... <laughs> you know, we've been talking about being in the wilderness of life together, and so... The wilderness of life is something that's real. It's not something that we have to create by giving something up for a season in time. You guys know this. You've been through different kinds of wildernesses in your life, maybe short seasons, maybe longer seasons of, of wilderness, but it's real and it's felt, and it feels sometimes a lot like what we imagine the 40 days of wilderness for Jesus felt like. He was in the wilderness by himself, tempted, and struggled for 40 days. And then he broke through that time into a whole new life and a whole new ministry. And because he did that, we actually can break through the wilderness and have a whole new life and a whole new ministry. As we've been talking about this, like it's clear that we experience wilderness, the idea of wilderness in different ways. And some of you um, would, would say that for you, wilderness is like you're having a pretty good life right now. Like things are going okay. Everything's even keel, but something's just not quite right. You know, like there's just that little bit of an ache. There's just that little bit of a longing that's just still there and hangs on. And I would propose that probably uh, all of us living on earth are going to experience that the whole time we're here. Because there's just something that God has out there for us yet that we just don't quite see. So that aching, that longing in us is actually a good thing from God. And some of you would say, that's, what I'm, that's the wilderness I'm experiencing right now. Some of you have heard us talking about 40 days of wilderness and you're like, that would be fantastic. That would be a cakewalk. If my wilderness time was only 40 days, that would be great. Because some of you are thinking to yourselves, I've been in the wilderness for years. It just goes on and on and on. You, say, you might be saying to yourself, I've been in the wilderness so long that it's starting to seem normal. It's starting to seem like this is just my life. The dry land, the lack of sleep, the powerlessness to get where I thought I was supposed to be going Maybe this is just my new normal, you might say. Maybe I should just accept it. And this idea that we sometimes uh, give into, that wilderness is something that we just have to accept, is one reason that we get stuck in the wilderness so often in life. Have you ever felt like you're just stuck there and you can't see anything else? It's because we accept the wilderness as normal. In case you forgot, the wilderness is not all there is. If you're experiencing wilderness right now, just know there is more. It's, it's really important to Jesus. He, he talked about this. He, he shared this with his disciples, that just because you're in the wilderness doesn't mean that God can't show up. So if you're in the wilderness today and you've been wondering, I want to answer your question, God can show up even if you're in the wilderness. We've been looking through the Gospel of Mark together for the past several weeks, and the Gospel of Mark is one of the, what they call the synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke um, are kind of, they call it that because it's like a synopsis of Jesus's life and mostly his, his ministry years. And Mark in particular seems especially interested in telling us 
who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And so he goes over and over this. In fact, the whole book starts off like this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Right off the bat, Mark is saying, Jesus is the Messiah, which is another way of saying the anointed one or the promised one. Uh, we, would, we could even sometimes say he is our rescuer, the one that you were looking for to come. This is him, and he's the Son of God. It's a really bold claim for Mark to be making right here off, off the start, uh, but it's one thing to know something, right? Like, you can hear that and say, well, I'm starting to know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, even know that he's my rescuer, but to be able to see something, like when you see something, you, you experience it with your whole self. You see it with your eyes and with your heart, and it becomes, it becomes a little deeper in you. Jesus wants us to be able to see who he is. So the wilderness journey is about your whole self finding freedom. Here's how Jesus keeps us going in the wilderness. This is how he does it. At just the right time, he gives us a little bit more of a glimpse of who he is. Like at just that moment where you think, I'll never see Jesus again, or I know everything there is to know about Jesus, he'll surprise you and show up even in the wilderness and show you a little bit more of who he is. And we begin to see Jesus in a different light. So here's the story in the Gospel of Mark of Jesus beginning to show himself in a different light to a few of his disciples. I'm going to share the whole passage with you, um, and then at the end of it, there's, a, there's a, a, a response for you to join in. This is from Mark chapter 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept discussing what rising from the dead meant. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, we're just going to kind of walk through this just a little bit and see, see where Jesus shows up. Um, it started off like this. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain. So he's, he's got a select few of his friends, his disciples coming with him. He leads them up a high mountain. What that tells us right away is that there are mountains in the wilderness, so for some of us, we see a mountain up before us, and we're like, that is an obstacle, right? It's something I have to climb. It's something I have to go around. It's something I have to go through. I've got to figure this thing out. Now, for me, I see mountains, and I'm like, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. They're my favorite place to be. Mountains also have redeeming qualities. There are high points and thin places where God's presence seems surprisingly real. But you don't have to just be at a high altitude to see them. That's not the point. It, it, it's... It's less that we have to physically climb up high where God, you know, is up there, and more so that we have to be able to get away from the noise and the confusion of the world, not for good, we don't leave it for good, just for a time, just enough for God to be able to show us what he wants us to see from a different vantage point. So there are mountains in the wilderness, and that's a good thing. 
Maybe you feel like you're slogging uphill today, like you're carrying a bunch on your back and everything feels like it's uphill. I want to just pose this to you. Maybe you're on the side of a mountain. Maybe you're on your way to a thin place with God. So here's what happened. They got to the top of the mountain. It says, there he was transfigured, changed from one thing into another thing before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. I've never understood this like reference to bleach here because I just picture like a commercial for Clorox bleach, right? Like it's, it's a moment that's brought to you by Clorox. <laughs> Jesus was super bleached. <laughs> that's the point. That's what it's telling us. He's super bleached. What does that look like? I don't really know. All I can tell you is that recently I tried to bleach a few of my white t-shirts. And if you've ever had to bleach your white t-shirts, they never look again like they did when you bought them at, at the store. And the reason I don't do this all that often is because um, I feel like when I wear a white t-shirt, that is more likely meaning that I'm wearing a, a, dress, a white dress shirt over it. And if I'm wearing a white dress shirt, that means more likely I'm wearing a suit, which is rare. And if I'm wearing a, a suit, it's more likely that I'm going to either a wedding or a funeral. And so when people see pastors around here wearing suits, which is not all that often, they, they're not sure like how to react. But I don't do this all that often, but I recently bleached a few of my, my white t-shirts and I pulled them out of the process and I said, are they white? <laughs> they don't look like they did when I bought them. I put them through the, the in, entire process. What, what does white even look like? What is white? White is the absence of color, as you know. <laughs> so how do you see the absence of something? I pulled out my white t-shirts and I just wasn't sure. Science alert, when you bleach something, it takes away the ability of the molecules in that something to absorb light, right? Yes, that's, <laughs> we're going to pretend like I knew that that was true beforehand. <laughs> we can absorb light. We walk around all day long, we're absorbing light. Jesus, when he was walking on earth as a human, was absorbing light. That's what he did. But in this moment, in this story, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus was only reflecting the light of God back into the world. He wasn't absorbing any of it. He was reflecting it back out. As we've been walking through this, the story of Mark, we've also noted that some of the, the other synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, will kind of build upon each other a little bit. And so in this story, Luke adds a line. So the disciples have followed Jesus up the mountain, and then it says, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. This is great. This is a fantastic analogy from, from Luke here, I think. So the disciples weren't fully asleep, and they also weren't fully awake. Right, Samuel? <laughs> not fully asleep, not fully awake. What do you call that place between sleeping and waking? It's called Neverland, right? You've, Peter Pan taught me that. My kids, sitting right here in the front row, um, visit Neverland on a regular basis. Sometimes I think they live there more than they live here. You know, like, because they'll be sleepy and responsive from time to time, and, and until, until I say something like, who wants to get some ice cream? Or, who wants to hear Daddy preach a sermon? You know, and then like, boom, instantly, we're awake. Okay, we're ready for either. Well, actually, one of those is true, and one of those is not true. I'll let you decide. Are we awake or are we awake but not really? I think that this addition, this line from, from Luke is a hint that Jesus didn't only shine in that one moment, but that this was the moment that three of his followers were able to see it. The, 
the glory of God can make you fully awake. So here's an invitation. When you see it, sit in it as long and as often as possible. I like to brag that I go to worship uh, at least four times a week. And you might say to me, well, that's your job. <laughs> you have to be there, right? <laughs> but there's something that happens in, in worship where we experience the glory of God that makes it, it's not just the same thing over and over again. It's the, the dynamic glory of God around us. I want to sit in it as long and as often as possible. Have you ever seen someone just seem to transfigure right in front of you, like transform from one thing into another thing? My, my daughter, Gracie, turned 16 this summer, 16 years old <laughs> this summer. Here's a picture of her about 15 years ago. Ah, give, give her a good awe. She's in the room. I'm like, go ahead and awe. Yeah. She had a lot of passion even back then. Nowadays, she pours her time, she invests so much time and energy into this one particular passion of acting and dancing and singing on stage. And this last, I'm going to just brag for a minute, I'm sorry. Uh, this last winter, she got her first like, big uh, role where she was, where she was out front, and, and I went to every single performance, of course. <laughs> and I got to tell you, watching Gracie on stage was one of those indescribable life moments. Now, I'm her dad, so every time, she's, whatever role she's in, she's amazing and she stands out, right? But as I was watching her recently, I just looked up and all of a sudden, she just had this, well, glow about her. <laughs> I don't even know how else to describe it. She had this glow. Let me see if you can see it as well. <laughs> Glowing. <laughs> That's the only way I can describe it is to say that she had this glow. And as I was looking up there, my little girl's up there on stage singing with boldness and acting with great poise, and my heart almost exploded every time I went to see her perform. And maybe it was the lights, maybe it was the makeup, but I don't really think so. My little girl, like, transformed from one thing into another thing. She was shining like a star, not like a celebrity, but like a star. <laughs> she was shining. She had transformed from one thing into another thing, and yet, she was still my little girl. As I was watching her on stage, as you can imagine, I had a lot of things on my mind. Soon she'll be driving. Soon she'll be filling out college applications. They send those to 15-year-olds nowadays. I don't understand it. She'll be filling out college applications. She'll be, she's going to, going to work. She's, uh, she'll be driving soon. She'll, uh, she's could even like, go on a date sometime in the near future. Um, <laughs> did I mention that she'll be driving soon? She'll be driving soon? Gosh. And while I, while I think about all these things that are changing around her, all this stuff is changing, but really, she's just becoming more of who she already was. That light that I saw in her on stage or seeing her at different moments was already there. It was placed by God before she was even formed in the womb. The light was already there. I just hadn't quite seen it quite that brilliantly yet. And if I pause to think about it, I wonder if there's even more. <laughs> Maybe I didn't even see it all yet in that moment. This is a breakthrough. And we've been talking about going through a, a breakthrough, getting out of the wilderness of life into something even greater. And sometimes, I imagine this might happen to you. You're kind of looking at something, maybe often in a field, and, and the sun just hits something, and it just kind of catches your eye, and, it, and you notice it. 
And, and then it kind of goes away, and you kind of wonder, wow, what was that? Is there more? <laughs> the fact is, when you see something beautiful that's from, that's from God, there is even more. There's more light than you have ever known. You have not seen it all yet. Have you ever seen a person who seems like they're in a, all of a sudden in a different light? That's what I imagine the disciples were experiencing, Peter, James, and John, as they were looking at Jesus on the mountaintop. They also probably had a lot of things on their mind when they looked at super dazzling, super bleached Jesus. Peter and James and John were having trouble getting the whole picture of who Jesus was. People were telling them who Jesus was. They said, well, he's a miracle worker. He's a, he's a heretic. He's just getting attention for himself. And some of us struggle with this too, like when we're thinking about who Jesus is. This story from Mark is the story of the disciples' eyes beginning to be opened, at least for a moment, maybe just for a moment, to the glory of God. But that glory that they saw is who Jesus is. They got to see it with their own eyes when they woke up. Do you ever feel like you've seen, maybe even just for a moment, the glory of God? Maybe it kind of fades back away. What do you want to do when you see it? So the disciples wake up and they see Jesus, but they also see these two guys. They see Elijah and Moses. These were not contemporaries of Jesus. They had lived a long time before. So it didn't make any sense, actually, that they were there. Historically, it didn't make sense that they were standing there talking to their friend Jesus. But their very presence shows us that there's something even bigger happening here. So it says, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Do you ever have those moments where you feel like you should say something, like you need to say something because of what's going on around you, but you don't have the words to say? And usually when that happens, the answer is don't say anything. <laughs> but Peter didn't get that right here. He, he felt like he needed to say something, so he said, uh, teacher, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> and Jesus is like, I brought you, <laughs> and that's why I brought you here. Do you ever put yourself around people who are just really amazing that you, that you look up to just in hopes that maybe some of what they have will transfer to you just by proximity or osmosis? They were in the presence of Moses who once had ascended up to a mountain to experience the presence of God. And when he came down the mountain, he too was shining. They were in the presence of Elijah who had also heard from God on a mountaintop. Now, these guys, they knew, they knew that Jesus was special. They'd been walking around with him. They'd seen the things that he was doing, but they were still trying to kind of live into who he actually was. But then they saw their friends standing with Moses and Elijah, who, who weren't even alive anymore. And they kind of, it's one of those moments where you feel like, I need to prove that he's my friend. And so they kind of like, I can imagine, they kind of go up to Moses and Elijah and like, you guys know Jesus? I know him too. We go way back, you know? We go way, way back. And Peter's kind of having another one of those moments where he doesn't know what to say. And so he says, let's build something. <laughs> Sometimes we do that. We don't know what to do. Well, let's build something. He said, let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, clearly. They were so frightened. Sometimes I've wondered, what is it that they were frightened of? I mean, a lot was going on around them, but where did this fear come from? I think possibly the fear that they had was that they were going to lose this moment. It was so amazing and beautiful, and other than anything else they had experienced, they wanted to hold on to it. They had seen the glory of God, and they wanted it to last. Last Sunday morning, 
uh, some of your staff team and pastors came in here really early to pray. And we kind of had a common desire and sense that we just wanted to see the glory of God in worship, in particular just to come and pray on that day. And one approach that we could have taken would we could have just gulped a bunch of energy drinks and brought in some flashy new lights that kind of move around and maybe a, a smoke, smoke machine or two. But instead, we just prayed in silence because as Peter learned, the glory of God can't be captured. There's no formula for it. That's why it shows up so often in the wilderness. The glory of God shows up in places we don't expect it. It shows up in the wild. The glory of God shows up in wild places, like Providence Church. It's a pretty wild place. The glory of God shows up in in impoverished neighborhoods in Nicaragua and in Haiti and in Nashville. The glory of God shows up at your home, in the theater, in the stands, at the baseball fields. The disciples saw the glory of God and they feared that it wouldn't last. So then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Which sounds a lot like the words that were spoken to Jesus in his baptism. Like the words that I don't know if you could hear them, but I felt like I heard them being spoken over Samuel. This is my son whom I love. In him I'm well pleased. What that tells us is that when the glory of God comes on Jesus, it shows the disciples and it shows us, it reveals who Jesus is. The glory of God reveals who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He's our rescuer. He's the one who's come to save us, like Mark said at the beginning of his book. The Scripture in Colossians says this about Jesus. It says, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He is before all things, and in him All things hold together, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. You might need to spend some time with with those verses on your own. What this is telling us is that when we see Jesus, if you happen to see the glory of God in Jesus, and you capture it, and even if just for a brief moment, what you're seeing in that brief moment is everything. You are seeing the fullness of God. You are seeing everything that's visible and everything that's invisible, You're seeing the past and you're seeing the future. You're seeing every beautiful thing that God has created and done in one moment, in one snapshot, and it's too much for your eyes to handle. That's what happened to the disciples. I think that's why why Jesus appeared to be so radiant, because their eyeballs couldn't process it. They couldn't handle it, and their hearts couldn't handle it as well. Do you ever have a desire where you wish you could transform from one thing into another thing? pretty sure that's going to be 100% yes in the room. Like there's something else that we want to be at some moment in our life. Well, listen to this. Just like when the glory of God fell upon Jesus and people saw him for who he really was, when the glory of God falls upon us, the world sees us for who we really are. None of the, none of the labels from the world, none of the labels that you give yourself but for who we really are in Jesus. Sometimes the picture is just better. We had a, another baptism last week, a little girl named Betsy Goodman. If you were in here in this service, you, you might have even noticed, even if you were on this side of the room, she, the glory of God was present. She came up out of the water, and she was dancing, and she was so delighted at this new life that she, that she has in Christ that we 
all just kind of stopped and like couldn't find words, yet have been talking about it all week. <laughs> the glory of God. The glory of God reveals who we are. We are sons and daughters of the living God. So just a reminder, when you see the glory of God, sit in it as long and as often as possible because it transforms us from one thing into another thing, from a little bit of glory into a little bit more glory, into a little bit more glory. It's this process that every time we're in the presence of the glory of God in Christ, we become more. Later, uh, Peter, as you can imagine, like this day that Peter had, when he was reflecting on it, he wanted to, to journal about it. So this is what he wrote. We can find this in 2 Peter. He said about that day, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Here's what the disciples saw. They saw that the glory that was seen in Jesus came from the glory of God the Father. And the glory that we see in Jesus is what we are becoming. It's who we're meant to be. Another place in the, in the Scriptures, in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote, And we all are being transformed or transfigured into His image with ever-increasing glory. We're being transformed into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory, glory and more glory, which comes from the Lord. Okay, so back in the story, the cloud lifts up. The disciples and Jesus begin to walk down the mountain. And Jesus gave them this mysterious word, which he's given in other places. He said, um, he, he gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept to themselves, it says, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Imagine everything they've just processed, they're walking down the mountain saying, what does it mean rising from the dead? I just want to invite you not to judge these guys too harshly, just kind of like recap the day that they just had. They just climbed up a mountain. When was the last time you guys climbed a mountain? Right? They were tired, okay? They climbed a mountain. They had been in the presence of the glory of God. They saw Jesus transform from one thing into another thing. He, they saw Moses and Elijah who weren't even alive at the time. Then they saw this cloud come down over everything. And then they heard the voice of God speaking to their friend Jesus. That's a lot to take in, right? I mean, this is like, like driving and, and dating and college applications and all this stuff, like rolled up together. It's a lot to take in one moment, right? And now they hear this word from Jesus that the Son of Man will rise from the dead. Well, we have a, an after Easter perspective, like we've, many of us have kind of walked through this story maybe before. If the Son of Man can raise from the dead, which is what Easter is all about, then you can break through the wilderness. Jesus didn't rise from the dead so that he'd be the hero of his own story. Jesus rose from the grave so that he could be the hero of your life, of your story. So if you can imagine Easter while you're walking through the wilderness, here's what I want you to picture, because when you do that, you have everything you need to persevere. So when you're walking through the wilderness, look for the glory of God. If you're in a deep place right now, look for the glory of God. If you're, if you're on cruise control, your life is so amazing, you've got it all lined up, look for the glory of God. If you're somewhere in between, look for the glory of God. Wherever you go, look for the glory of God. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory, it says in Hebrews, and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You have everything that you need to be able to be sustained in the wilderness. It's the same thing that sustained Jesus when he was in the wilderness. It will sustain you in the wilderness, the powerful word of God. So wherever you find yourself today, I just want to invite you to wake up to the glory of God that is around you. It's already there. You maybe just haven't quite seen it in that amount of brilliance yet. And if you're headed to a breakthrough, then you're going to need to, you're going to have to catch a glimpse of light every once in a while, right? Like, how else are you going to keep going? And Jesus was headed to a breakthrough from the, from the empty tomb. And he, even Jesus, every once in a while needed to climb up a mountain and see the glory of God to catch a glimpse of things that were to come. So he'd be reminded of what the whole journey was about. And if Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, our rescuer, needed a glimpse of glory, don't you think we do as well? We're not going to let you go away without an opportunity to see a glimpse of glory here, as if you haven't already. Every single week we do this, and um, we come to this table where there's bread and there's juice, and and for, on some weeks, it seems like just a small thing that we do all the time. But every single time we do it, the glory of God is present in this bread and in this juice. And sometimes we're awake enough to see it. I'm going to invite you to kind of imagine that we're on top of, the, top of the mountain right now with Jesus and the disciples and even Elijah and Moses. And they're kind of like representing for us how big the story is, right? How, how it goes all the way back to the beginning of God's God's story of salvation of his people. So as we stand in that place, I want to invite you to pray a prayer that is also itself quite old. These words that help us prepare our heart as we, uh, as we come to the Lord's table. The words are on the screen. I invite you to pray with me. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let us pray. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be present here. Send down your glory upon us upon these gifts of bread and juice. We pray that we would get to experience Jesus here. We recall Jesus gathering his disciples and sharing the bread and sharing the juice, sharing his body, sharing his very life in the poured out blood. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be present with us, that you would make these gifts of bread and juice be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. In Jesus' name.